0: Me, if you would, in prayer as we pray for our world, uh, our country, and our church. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, we come to you now and we continue to uh, bring before you uh, this tense situation in uh, Ukraine. Father, we pray that uh, by your great mercy uh, that you would keep us from uh, a conflict that would be absolutely devastating. Lord, we pray for peace uh, in this region and we pray, Lord, that uh, you would give uh, men and women in government who would make wise uh, decisions to avoid this conflict, we ask it in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for our own nation, and we pray for, uh, Lord, our neighbors up north. We pray that you would bring peace between governments and their citizens. Lord, we pray that you would give us uh, men and women to lead us who are inclined to wisdom and mercy and justice. Lord, we pray that in your mercy that we would enter a time that is absolutely fruitful for the preaching of the gospel, uh, where your church can be united to show acts of mercy, Uh, and to bring the good news in the name of Jesus. And lastly, Lord, we pray for our own community, uh, both this church and also our friends and neighbors around town. Lord, we pray that we would be able to truly be the hands and feet to those in need. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering physically, who are unemployed or underemployed. Father, we pray that your church would rise up in generosity. Uh, Lord, we pray for those who are lonely Uh, that your church would rise up in friendship. Lord, we pray for those who are depressed or who are suffering crisis right now. We pray that we would be the very presence of Christ to listen uh, and to be with in presence. And Lord, we ask that you do a great work in our midst. We pray especially for all of those in our lives who are in need of physical uh, or spiritual healing. Lord, we speak their their names quietly to you, asking for your great hand of healing to be upon them. Lord, would you hear our prayers today? Would you bring blessing to our land? Would you bring peace to our world? Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. And I'm sorry, our printer actually broke, so we don't have a printed worship guide today. We will have it up on the screen. I'm going to be reading Romans 12, verse 1 through 16. And would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Never be wise in your own sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together one more time. Father God, we sit under these words, uh, and Lord, we recognize that as we do, we come from all kinds of different places. Some of, some of us come here in a season of blessing uh, and abundance. Others of us come here in a season of crisis uh, and in a time of great need. Lord, some of us come here with a deep and a long-lasting and growing faith in you. Others of us come here with all kinds of doubts about you. Uh, and some of us come here even with cynicism and yet i'm sure that there are some here present who are quite settled in saying i don't believe uh, that you're real god and i don't believe if you are that you are good lord whatever place we find ourselves in today whether we are here in abundance or we are here in crisis whether we are here in faith or dealing with all kinds of doubts i pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most that we all ultimately come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. Lord, would you open our eyes, would you give us grace to see how you have addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen, well, it's great to be with you. We are in between our sermon series, right? So we just finished uh, the uh, letter uh, called Revelation, and we're going to be going into our next sermon series, which is going to concern the life of David called A Sinner After God's Own Heart. So really excited for that. That'll be in a few weeks. So we're in this in-between time. And I wanted to uh, address kind of sundry issues with you uh, taking opportunity between sermon series. Now, some of you don't know me very well, and I would like to get to know you. But if, if you don't know me, I want to tell you a little bit about me. One of my kind of main things that I do in life is I troubleshoot things, right? So I work, you know, in in my uh, professional career, I worked a lot with computers and part of what I do is I troubleshoot problems. Someone's saying that something is not working and, you know, as an engineer, you run tests and you say, what test, you know, how is the data kind of leading me to answer the question, why is something not working? And it's interesting because, you know, the Lord has called me to pastor and if you again if you've heard me preach before you know that my mission is your joy in Christ is your spiritual growth that is seen by an increase in joy now part of me saying that i recognize that that's a little bit difficult to assess right it's subjective right There's, and and part of what i struggle with in, in this you know part of my life is that sometimes the tests are a little bit unclear right have you grown for example, in the last year? And if, you, and if you have, how do you know? Well, what I appreciate about this passage is that this passage gives us a little bit of an answer to that question, right? How do you know that you have been receiving the words of God in such a way that they are working in your life? Well, the passage gives us a little bit of uh, answer to that, and I'm excited to walk through it with you this morning. So, I want to draw your attention, first of all, to verse two, right? Paul uh, has just presented the heart of the Christian faith in all of its glory. You know, a number of Christian teachers and scholars have said that if they could be stuck with only one book of the Bible to read, you know, on an island, right? If you're if you're if if you're crashed on an island, FedEx, you know, if you're Tom Hanks losing his mind and you only have one book to read in the whole Bible, a number of Christian people have said. I would choose the letter to the Romans, right? So Martin Luther actually memorized the book of Romans in its entirety in multiple languages, right? That's how much this letter captivated him. And the letter is divided into certain sections. The first section in Romans 1 through 12 is presenting the absolute majesty of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, right? That he is so what we just rehearsed in our service where we said, That Christ so comprehensively enters into our sins and he cleanses us of them, not because of anything we've done, but because he wants to demonstrate his kindness to us. Because he wants to put on a show for heaven, he decides to comprehensively and profoundly forgive all of our sins. And Paul then begins this section of the letter and he says, this is how we respond to that right? This is actually verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, right? The NIV, I actually prefer the NIV translation. He says, I appeal to you in view of God's mercies, meaning that if you're seeing them correctly, if the, if the content of chapters 1 through 11 is sinking in correctly, this ought to be the result, right? This is how you know it's sinking in. He says, in, in light of God's mercies, the way that we respond, he, and he highlights two things, right? He says, if you are understanding the Christian gospel correctly, you will have a change in two areas of your life, okay? You have a change in your mind and a change with your bodies, right? Your mind and your bodies. And it's summarized under this word transformation, right? So, in other words, One of the questions that I ask if I, you know, as I inventory my own work and ministry in your lives, as we have prayed, as we have preached, as we have walked together, as we have served the city, one of the questions I ask is, are you being transformed in your mind and in your bodies, right? Two areas. So, let's look at them together. This is what he says. He says, uh, do not be conformed, this is verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, right? So, that's the first thing. In the mind, he says, when, when you are receiving the gospel of Christ in a way that's effective, it changes the way that you think, right? You begin to think differently and you begin to think in such a way that you're able to recognize the will of God. That's what he's saying, right? That when you think differently, you're able to say, I can recognize that this is God's will. I can recognize that this would be a good choice to make. I can recognize that, that God has, has counsel for me that I would do well to follow, right? You recognize that with your mind. But also, it says that you recognize it in your bodies. So, and, and I'm going to go back to verse 1, he says, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is so interesting to me because I grew up kind of not appreciating uh, the essence of the body. Maybe you did too. In our our tradition, we we don't talk a lot about it, Um, but I grew up kind of not really understanding why God would give us bodies, right? And I grew up with a view of heaven where the body is non-existent, right? Where we just sort of exist without physicality. Maybe you did as well, right? And, that, and that's a real sad thing because the body is actually really presented in Scripture as having profound divine significance, right? And you might ask the question, why do we have bodies, right? Do we have them just so they can break? We can go to the doctor and, you know, figure out what's going on. Why do we have bodies, right? What is the essence of the body? What is the meaning of the body? And, and, and if you haven't been paying attention, by the way, in the world in which we live, the, the heart of the controversy in our generation, and I suspect will continue to be, is all centered on the body, right? The body is, you know, what is, again, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman, right? Can you define that yourself? All these things are centered on the question of the body, and it's interesting here because Paul says the body is actually the place where you can tell if you are learning the gospel in such a way that it's effective in your life. He says, if the gospel is making sense, it changes the way that you use your body. Namely, your body becomes how you worship. Do you see that? By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? And how do you do that? You do that through your mind being transformed. Now, this word transformation, I absolutely love it. I, I've said this a lot, so some of you have heard me say this before. But if you're new here, you might not know that there's a, a really interesting Greek word that uh, is behind this word transformation that we all learned as kids, and that's this word "metamorphozo," right? Where we where we describe the process by which, you know, a butterfly, right, the caterpillar becomes the butterfly. The caterpillar looks. Right, God probably designed the caterpillar to look ugly, you know, I I don't know. I mean, my kids used to love caterpillars, right? We actually had one as a pet for a while and and kept it way too long. Um, But a caterpillar to a butterfly is an interesting thing, right? Because it starts out as one of the more ugly of God's creatures, if I could dare to say that, right? I think it was on purpose. And then it transforms into the one of the most breathtaking of God's creatures, right? And what Paul is saying is that that's the word that describes what happens in the life of a Christian. When you understand the message correctly, you undergo a metamorphosis. You undergo a transformation. It takes place in the mind, and it shows up in the body. Now, some of you, you know, are asking the question, Darren, this is a little weird, right? Bodies, like we don't talk about that in Protestantism, right? We don't Know, what is going on here? What does that mean? Like, what, what are we supposed to do? What does it mean? And that's, that's, that is the question of the passage. What does it mean to worship with our bodies, right? That, that could go in a really weird direction. Not going to go there, I promise. What does it mean to worship with the bodies? I mean, in, in Paul's day, worshiping with the bodies would involve things that I don't feel comfortable talking about, okay? In his day, there were whole temples where you would literally worship with your bodies in, in ways that would not be appropriate to discuss um, in, in this context, or probably any context. So what in the world is in view in this passage when it says, present your bodies as an offering of worship? Now, and that's gonna form the heart of our exhortation. Right? Uh, Paul answers that in verse four, look with me if you would in there. Right? What does it mean to worship with the body? And he says this, For as in one body, and he's going to play on this word a lot, for in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And then he goes on to make it very clear what he has in mind. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Right? What does it mean to present your body as a living sacrifice to God? What does it mean to offer that to him? What Paul has in view here in particular is to serve him in ways that you are uniquely gifted to do, right? Having gifts that differ, he says, let us use them. Friends, and I want to tell you that part of, part of what I absolutely love about this passage and love about this theology is that Paul points up that God is very particular and very detailed in the way that he makes people like like you. I can look out and and, and I can see in you all kinds of different gifts. And, And what the scriptures are saying is that God has designed you. He has given you experiences. He has given you abilities. He has given you personality. He has given you bodies through which to serve him in unique ways that he has designed for you to find profound fulfillment in. Right? Now, where do I get that from? Well, let me just quote to you, if I could, uh, from his letter to Ephesians, p- chapter 2, verse 10. This is what he says He says, We are God's handiwork, right? Meaning God's like masterpiece or, or, or piece of art, right? Poema is the word whereby we deserve derived poem. We are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the heart of what this is saying is that God has prepared certain calling for you, and he's given you certain abilities through which to execute that calling, and that is how we worship him with our bodies according to this passage, Right? That's what he's saying. He said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How do you do that? Answer, you serve in your gifting, right? You serve in your gifting. And it's interesting because one of the things that he highlights, by the way, is that we serve differently from one another, right? We serve differently, that we are gifted differently. And I'll tell you that you know, this was a big deal uh, as we were starting this church, and, and as we've kind of gone on in church, what we've what we found is that, our is that you are your joy in God increases when you serve in your gifting, right? And I'll tell you that when you're when you're a church planner, you know, <laughs> there's an ugly side to church planning. Trust me. Okay, um, some of that's been in the news. Hopefully, ironwork stays out of the news. That's one of my life goals. Um. See if that happens or not. But it's one of my life goals: is that Ironworks stays out of the news, out of this kind of news, at least, right? But there's an ugly side to church planting, and I'll tell you that when you're planting a church, and you only have a few people, like when we started our very first service, I think we had about 22 people who were kind of like in, and there were varying levels of in, and so it was a big circus, right? We would, I mean, everyone was running around doing like six things, and you know and that was on a good day sometimes we were doing more and we were way like way understaffed and under volunteered and everything and so the moment someone would come in and not leave within the first 10 minutes you know as a church planner you're tempted to be like can you do something i don't care if you're good at it or not right <laughs> can you can you go make coffee you know and you might be five but please figure it out it's okay right it was disgusting coffee No, i'm just kidding um, you know, as a church planner, you're absolutely desperate for people to help. And I'll tell you that one of the things that we've attempted to do at Ironworks is take the long view and we've we've attempted to say as best we can that we want you to we want to invite you to serve, right? But but not predominantly because we just want to fill positions, right? So I hope that you've never felt the pressure to just fill a position. I mean that that would be the farthest thing that would be from my intention is that any of you would ever feel pressure to just fill a position. And if you feel that way, I invite you to come tell me afterwards and see if I can help you. Instead, what we've said is we know that God has designed you to serve and that you will be most satisfied in him as you find your gifting, you find your calling and you serve as an act of worship, right? that you embrace how he has made you, and you serve as an act of worship. And so part of what we say to folks who come into the church is say, hey, how has God gifted you? Can we explore that together? Can we try something out? And if, you're, if you hate it, let's change what you're doing. And, and I've, done I've walked through with folks in doing that. It's interesting. Um, You know, there's a couple different ways uh, that I've seen really burn people out, and some of you have been burned out, and that that grieves me, and I hope to change that, Um, and that's because there are dysfunctions in uh, the church world, as we've talked about, right? So there's a couple different ways that I've seen folks hear a message like this, and they're saying, you know what, Darren, I'm burned out. So what are some of those ways? Well, you know, what are some of the dysfunctions? The first dysfunction, by the way, is not serving at all. And I look out here, and I don't really see, I think, anyone who that's, that I know that that's true of. Maybe there are some. But the first dysfunction is, this, is to not serve at all, anywhere, in any capacity, right? And if that is you here today, you know, again, there might be a season in your life, maybe you just had a baby or something, you know, and you're devoted to that context. That's okay. But if you, if you have a long season of not serving in any way, in any capacity, right, I will tell you that the Word of God would tell you that that's a dysfunction, that that is not the will of God, and I can tell you will lead to spiritual depression. Right? I've seen it happen. Right? And again, we believe in taking breaks. We believe in pacing ourselves. Um, But if you don't serve in any way, if you are unfruitful as a Christian, that will lead to spiritual depression. And some of you are saying, well, I'll serve because I'm depressed. And I would say, well, why don't we change that? We invite you into service. So that's the first dysfunction, is not serving at all, right? And Paul says here that service is actually the way, uh, one of the ways that we worship with our bodies. Um, The second dysfunction I've seen, though, is the opposite end, and that's serving too much, right? If, If you serve too much, that can actually burn you out. And some of you, you know, I look out in here and see a number of you that that's probably happened in your life, serving too much. What is the problem with serving too much, right? Well, the problem is actually one of unbelief. If you're serving too much, what you're saying is, I do not believe that God is involved to build this church or to build this ministry or to build this volunteer team, and so it all falls to me, right? Something's broken, I have to fix it. And I'll tell you that one of the, one of the emphases that we've developed on staff to the point that I lecture new hires, right? And I'll tell you that I'm actually ashamed of this because I don't like to lecture anyone. Um, So new hires, I'm sorry, I don't know how to do it better. But I've begun to lecture new hires and to say, listen, your success on staff will be profoundly tied to whether you are able to delegate or not, whether you are able to trust other people in, in, in doing things that they cannot do as well as you can right now. Right, I, I, I have like a, three sermons that I preach on this in the interview. It's really awkward. And um, i working on finding how to do that better. But I'll tell you that I cannot emphasize enough that we have to believe that God is involved in our lives and in our work. And the moment you stop believing in that, you will, I guarantee, become burned out. Right? And you will become cynical and you will begin to resent people. Right? And that is absolutely contrary to the heart of God as expressed in this passage. So that's the second dysfunction. Right? First is not serving at all. Second is serving too much. The third is serving outside of your gifting. Right. So, And, and this is, an, again, something that we see a lot, is if you are serving simply to fill a position, but you're terrible at it, right, or you hate it, right, you're going to be burned out in that way, right, if you're serving in such a way that's very different to how God has gifted you, and, and, and perhaps some of you are like, yeah, I kind of feel that today, right, I would invite you to come talk to me, or come talk to Laura, she's not here today, but talk to, find her later on, and say, look, can you help me figure out how God has gifted me, can you help me figure out how I'm wired, because, you know, I'm not, I'm not enjoying myself, I'm not thriving in this, And those are, so those are three dysfunctions. And what's interesting is Paul affirms that you have been uniquely gifted to serve. And he says, effectively, serve in that way, right? That's the heart of verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that that has been given to us, let us use them, right? So that is what he is calling us to do. Now, The next piece of that is, right, as you've discovered your gifting, as you've discovered how God has wired you to serve, um, there's another piece to that, though, that is absolutely essential to a healthy community, right? There's a piece that's absolutely essential to a healthy community, and that uh, shows up in verse nine. You see, God has given us gifts to serve uniquely, but he's given us a specific target for those gifts, right? He's given us a specific target for the abilities that we have. What is that target, we might say, right? I know it sounds like you're gonna hurt someone with that, but I don't know a better word to use, right? What, what, it, what is, who is the recipient of your gift? And it's interesting, the language used in verse nine, he says, the, the, the goal of our gifts, right? The focus of our gifts is on the expression of loving genuinely. Right? So, again, if you, if you say, look, I'm gifted to serve, but I just serve in an impersonal way, I just sort of, like, do things without, without other people in mind or in view, like, you're missing it. Right? You're just a, a cog in a machine. But he says here, he connects the idea of serving with the idea of loving genuinely. And friends, I will tell you, there has been no greater source of power that I have seen in the history of Ironworks Church than in, the, in this embodiment of a community where sinful people love one another genuinely, right? That that Ironworks, you know, again, we started out with all kinds of dysfunctions. We had, you know, all kinds of problems going on, all kinds of weird, you know, as we were 22 people trying to start a service and, and running around like in absolute chaos, there was one thing that I saw God's power do in building the church, and that was in sinful people aware of our own brokenness saying, I want to love you genuinely. I want to be involved in community with you genuinely. And as that happened, God built this church because I will tell you, friends, that that is becoming profoundly uncommon in our world. Right? Our world does not understand sinful, broken people loving each other genuinely. But that is the heart of the Christian message, isn't it? The heart of the Christian message is that as God has poured out kindness upon you, you respond by pouring out kindness on people particularly who don't deserve your kindness. And when you live that way, when you embrace that, when you live in community with that, the world becomes absolutely puzzled. And what, is it, what does it look like to do that? Well, a couple, couple things mentioned here in this passage, right? Um, first of all, it, it says here in verse 12, it says that you're hopeful for others, right? So if you, if you live in community and you love others genuinely, what happens is when someone disappoints you, you actually continue to hope for them, right? You don't become cynical about them, you don't come resigned about them, but you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in hope that God can change you, that God is at work in your life. He says, rejoice in hope. The second thing that he says here, which is which instructive to me, he says, be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. I want to invite you to reflect on that in your relationships. He says, first of all, be hopeful. Second of all, be patient. Right? Christian community that loves genuinely or, or any family for that matter, you have to have an abundance of patience, otherwise you won't make it. And he says, but the Christian is hopeful and patient and prays all the time, right? And he has this view of Christian community where we live in harmony with one another, serving one another, hopeful for one another, patient with one another, praying for one another, and the result of that is seen in verse 15, that one of the ways you know that's happened is is that you begin to organically share the joys of others, right? It says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. When someone's weeping, you, you know, this command, this command is not really getting at the idea that you've got to try to do this. It's getting at the idea that this is the result, that when you love one another genuinely, you actually begin to feel things for them. You begin to feel hurts. You begin to feel joys. Right, And I've watched it happen. I've watched folks' hearts get knit together Right, so that when one person is grieving that others can't help but feel that. They don't have to try. It just happens because they've been living in community and the gospel has been changing us and we have been responding in worship. So how do you make progress on this? Right? If you're here today and you're saying, Darren, I love this vision. I want to be part of it. How do we make progress on it? Well, The answer, of course, goes back to the very beginning of the passage and that what Paul has in view here is a community that is resulting from feasting upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's interesting, uh, again, in his choice of words here, he says, if you are view, again, I love the NIV translation, he said, if you're viewing the mercies of God correctly, he said, the result is going to be presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice and of course in his language here what's interesting is that most of you i hope are not called by god uh to to literally lay down your lives to the point of death right some people have been have that has been their calling throughout christian history right um i don't i that doesn't happen a lot anymore and i don't think that's predominantly what paul had in mind though it certainly did happen in his context right um and, and we've gone into what he's had in mind here, but in this case, this actually was the will of God for Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ, when he laid down his life, it was literal in every sense of the word, right? That he, he was called by God to lay down his life physically. He was called to uh, allow his soul to be crushed emotionally and spiritually, And the gospel tells us that he did so for the joy that was set before him so that you could come close to him, right? That you could be brought into his family. So friends, uh, as as we're gonna turn to this table, as we're gonna drink deeply of the grace of God, as we're gonna taste of his body and his bread, the heart cry I have for you is not simply try hard or sign up for a new team, you know, give more of your time, that is not the heart of it. The heart of it is, could you, let the, could you let the gospel change you? Could you come to the table? Could we come as broken people to this table, feasting on the mercies of God in such a way that we become transformed, that we undergo a spiritual metamorphosis this year? That is the heart cry of this passage. That is the heart of the gospel. Jesus had to lay down his life, literally, in order to bring us to God. And I want to invite you to drink deeply of that reality this morning as we come to this table. And my hope and my goal and my prayer is that in doing so, it would change you, that you would be transformed, that this year would be a year of metamorphosis for you. This would be a year where you live in community. This would be a year where you discover genuine love and true friendship This would be a year where you find that you cannot help but rejoice with others and weep with others, that we become closer knit as a family. Let me pray for us to that end. Father God, we do pray that you would do this work among us, that you would knit our hearts together, that we would serve in the strength that you provide, that you would build your church here pray for blessing in all these ways. We pray that the gospel would be powerful and effective to us today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we approach this table? Dear Ironworks, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Right to give him thanks and praise. Yes, Lord, it is right. It is good to give you thanks and praise for you have accomplished what we have been unable to, namely our own righteousness. Lord, you have worked in us uh, that which we have strived for but failed to do. Lord, as we have strived to live well, but we have failed miserably, uh, you have redeemed us, you have rescued us, you have saved us, and so it is that we join our voices with all the company of heaven in their unending hymn of praise. Let's sing together.